Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and this time round, I'm doing another request. Now, for the record, if you do throw in a request, it sometimes takes time. I get distracted by other projects, and I really do my best to try and get involved with everybody. I love it when people reach out to me. I've had one person suggest the, the Crimean War, which I still haven't found a way to, to get into that one. We'll, we'll see. At some point, maybe. I also had somebody else reach out to me and talk to me about the OA. That just isn't going to work. It's just too sci-fi and, and ethereal. They also mentioned some other stuff which I'm thinking about doing. I do my best. I can't guarantee I'm always going to do it. But on this occasion, Andy May, way back in October of 2022, said, Have you seen Yellowstone? And my simple answer was, nope, it's on my list. But since then, I have actually had an opportunity to sit down and watch Yellowstone. So this one is about Yellowstone, which, if you don't know, is just a entertainment phenomenon over in America. There is the original TV show, which started in 2018, and I believe is going to finish in 2023, but hey, it's so popular, you, you never know. And it's already had two spin-offs of basically the same family. It's all around a family called the Duttons, and there was, back a few years ago, 1883... Do you see what they've done there? So it's just the year that this is around. So obviously nobody from the current series in Yellowstone, set, by the way, in the modern world today, if you like, nobody can be in the 1883 version. And then in, I've got to get this carefully right, in 2023, they brought out 1923, which is obviously still about this family. But that one has got Helen Mirren and Harrison Ford in it. This is a big deal. Harrison Ford in 2023, for the first time ever, is into TV series. He is a movie star. So this sort of thing pulls together Helen Mirren, Harrison Ford, Kevin Costner. These are big names. Obviously, they're perhaps not in their prime anymore to be in this major TV event, if you like. But this is the bit where I'm going to sort of jump in and say, I'm not a fan. I've definitely given it a good shot. I have serious problems with this TV show, but it's a sensation. And my wife and I, who watch a lot of this good stuff, and indeed, as I think I've mentioned in the past, my wife actually has an MA in screenwriting. 
and has written a number of things. Sadly, you wouldn't have seen any of them. It's really hard to get into screenwriting. But we were sitting there going, why? Why is this so big? Because in terms of the drama, we've seen it all before. And is it just down to the star power of Kevin Costner? Clearly not if they decided to spin it off into the, these other time frames. So we're going to have a look at Yellowstone. I'm going to sort of go through a bit of what Yellowstone is about, if you're not aware of it. You can see it anywhere on Paramount+. Plus. So if you happen to have Paramount+, Plus, or indeed if you're subscribed to Sky, you can get Paramount+, Plus for free. There is absolutely a way to watch this. And as I've just pointed out, there are hours and hours and hours of this TV show. There are five series of the main show alone, plus these ancillary bits as well so let's get into this shall we the show the original show of yellowstone is based around a ranch called yellowstone in the u.s state of montana and the family that runs this ranch is the duttons and the great patriarch of the duttons is kevin costner and he's got multiple kids and really there are different types of tv shows isn't there you know there are dramas there's action there's a uh, police procedurals etc you, you get the idea there you know the comedies and so on and so forth so what is this this is kind of a political drama it has been worked out by people who clearly have too much time on their hands that basically the entirety of the dutton ranch which they they keep talking about how big it is but they're passing references to how much more acreage has been added to it over time this was already big and it's got even bigger somebody's worked out that it's about 270,000 square acres inside to give you an idea that's basically the same size as the smallest state in america which is delaware which is basically about 270,000 acres as well so the idea is that you've got Kevin Costner in charge of an area the size of a state in America, and yet he's not an elected official. He's the owner of this land. He is, in essence, king, really, of his area. Now, obviously, he has to respect local laws and so on and so forth, but things are being encroached. There's the local town that wants to grow, but that would involve nibbling away at the edges of the of his territory, of his ranch. And it's like, well, can't we just buy the land? We'll give you a fair price. Like, no, it's my ranch. And then there's also the local Native American reservation, which adjoins his land, which leads into a really interesting conversation about what exactly is a reservation. Most Americans don't live anywhere near a reservation. And if you're not in America, you've all heard of them. You'll know that all of this land used to be owned by the Native Americans. So what's going on there then? And, and what are the legal practicalities of these places today in the modern world? So I'm definitely going to go into that as well. But what I wanted to do is Montana is absolutely gigantic. And in a way, my wife and I have a working theory as to why Yellowstone is so popular, which is absolutely going to be one of the reasons why I'm going to do a focus of history just purely on the state of Montana. So that's all coming in the history bit of it. But let's go back to the actual TV show. So you've got like the local Native American chief and he's sort of vying against Kevin. And then you've got the various sort of like town officials and town council and, and property developers and them vying against Kevin. And, and so this is all opportunity to have a big sweaty political thriller and people sort of angling each other and they do battle in like the legal courtrooms and all that kind of stuff. And all of that is great and and it works but tonally 
I have a serious problem with this. To give you an idea, in the first three episodes, one of his sons is played by Luke Grimes. He's Casey Dutton. He's sort of estranged from dad. He's married a Native American woman and actually lives on the reservation. Obviously, his children are sort of like half Caucasian, half Native American. And so there's a whole thing going on there. And then it's interesting. Don't get me wrong. It's very interesting. But he's also ex-Special Forces. And in the first episode, he has a gunfight with a guy and kills him. Now, it's it's not a sort of super action scene. You know, John Wick isn't going to be scared by this in any way. But he shoots and kills a guy. Then in episode two, for various reasons, he shoots a guy. And then in episode three, two people are shot dead, one of which is done by Casey again. So it's like, hang on, you know, is this an action show like Miami Vice or is it a big political boardroom challenging kind of thing like Dallas, for example, if we're going to pick two 80s things, Dallas was hugely popular. Miami Vice was hugely popular, but nobody thought to put the two together. Maybe that would have been awesome. But certainly with Yellowstone, it's too jarring. It's like, well, is this rugged action or is this sort of button down politics? It can't really be both. Yes, you can get that in something like Game of Thrones because it's set in a sort of pseudo medieval world. And like in the medieval era, politics and violence went hand in hand. If I disagree with you, I come to your castle there under siege and burn it to the ground kind of thing. That works. But it feels like it's trying to have its cake and eat it too. Now, everybody acts well in it. There's nobody who's sort of like a false problem. But the other thing is, this is a very manly, manly, male-written, manly TV show. Did I mention the men, by the way? And one of the children of Kevin Costner is a daughter played by Kelly Riley. And she does a great, if you look at her roles in IMDb, she does a lot of very strong women roles. They're also sort of, you know, they're they may be strong, but they're sort of flawed characters. She's a really interesting character actor. And she's a mess in this. On the one hand, you, she's introduced in episode one, which she sort of comes into a boardroom and just basically destroys this guy as to why he is definitely going to do it her way. And so it's like, oh, you know, she's the tough, hugely capable one. She's the kind of tough son that happens to be a daughter kind of thing for Kevin. And yes, she is, but also she's a bit of a mess as well. And she's sort of like living at home with Kevin. And there are scenes where she'll just walk up to a guy and demand that he sleeps with her. And there's another scene where she's drinking, you know, hard whiskey and just walks out completely naked into the middle of everywhere and steps into the cattle trough and just sits in the cold water. And just as my wife said, and even I noticed this as a guy, as my wife says, she goes, a man had to have written this because no woman acts that way. And and, and that's absolutely true. It's just sort of like she's playing a male version of what they think an incredibly damaged and overly confident woman would act like. And it just, I know enough women in my life that might echo, not, not mirror, but echo some of those elements. And it's like she is a completely unbelievable character. Now, again, Kelly Riley is convincing she can only do with the work with the script that she's given if you like and she is completely game for it and i think she is you know putting her all into it but it's just not very good writing clearly the writers don't know how to do a strong damaged woman basically so there are scenes where it's like i just don't believe this then there are other scenes like that seems credible and then there are other scenes like i'm sorry have i just walked into lethal weapon to me it just seems to be too many things at the same time 
and they are tonally too different to blend together well. Every bit of it is good, except for the Kelly Riley stuff, but by about three quarters of the way through season one, sorry, I can't tell you what happens in season five. I didn't get that far. I gave up on Yellowstone. But why is it such a revolution, if you like, and excitement? It's breaking records in terms of sort of streaming and downloads in the fifth season of the of the main one. And as far as we can work out, my wife and I, is because of this Americana. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, look, we all like American TV shows and movies. I've said this many times on many other podcasts. You don't need any more information than that. But the thing is, while I might be watching NYPD Blue, a cop show based in New York City, or I might be watching Breaking Bad set in, clearly it's in New Mexico, the point is, these are things that we can relate to. You know, Walter White is a teacher. And I know teachers, and teachers generally have lifestyles that are very similar around the world. You know, they got a home, they got a family, they go to a school, they teach. I get it. This, in theory, could be a German version, if you like, of Breaking Bad. Kraken den nine or something. <laughs> Says Jeff, making up German. <laughs> anyway, so the point is, although it's got trappings of Americanness on it, we absolutely can fit it into our own lives. We we get it. Whereas something like a ranch that is the size of a state, which, you know, would be the size of probably an English county in terms of sort of like English territory, that's something that there is no equivalent farmstead of that size in the UK. And just, you know, the the whole sort of the cattle ranching and all this kind of stuff, it's just it's super alien. And Americans are very proud of their, being snooty a European for a moment, limited history. Uh, but, you know, the Wild West is globally iconic to do with America. So Montana was part of that wild frontier, in inverted commas. And, and therefore, there are genuine episodes where there are scenes where people go to cattle auctions, which, again, is something that does happen in the rural countries around the world. But it's something that's just very different to what you would normally see on the television and then you know literally you'll get guys walking around i mean kevin's almost always in a cowboy hat and it's not ironic a cowboy hat is a working piece of kit you know it keeps the sun from baking your head basically uh, and also you, you, you know the brim allows you can see without squinting too hard it's a useful thing to wear if you're riding a horse round in somewhere like Montana. It's, you know, it would look ridiculous on the tube in London, not so much, even if we're talking about the year 2022 uh, in Montana. So, you know, it's it's work gear, basically. And therefore, all this Americana, there are scenes where there's literally bull riding and, you know, people using lariats. Lassoing is the verb, a lariat is the noun, okay? I, I learned that from Greg, the editor. Oh my God, it's a dream. <laughs> so all of this... If you're American, it's like, oh, you know, just show me the apple pie and, you know, let's talk about the wild frontier. It's it, it seems to be almost like a comfort blanket viewing if you're American. Certainly, it seems to be very, very popular. And certainly, I've never bounced so hard off something that's that popular and that long standing from America, to be honest. So that would be my guess on that. Sorry about this. As you can see, I'm not exactly in love with it. it it's certainly intriguing. It's, it's one of the things where I'd say definitely watch the, 
the the pilot episode which is about an hour and a half it's like a mini movie in its own right there's a lot of money's being spent on it there are helicopter shots you know you've got kevin costner you know there are big scenes in it so yeah i would thoroughly recommend that you you give it a go and if it if it sort of drags you in then great you've got hours and hours of entertainment all sorted out for you but if you're sitting there going yeah i get it gem it's 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 just doesn't quite fit together does it well i i did warn you so anyway that is if you like there's the setup for yellowstone but it leads us into some really interesting and very clearly relevant parts of american history that obviously is coming up next now just before i get into everything else get into the good history as always please click subscribe please give us a review that really helps i'm at gem on twitter this one was a recommendation from andy may andy thank you sorry it wasn't my thing but you know thank you very much for at least alerting it to me and reminding me that i do need to do something around it much appreciated so you can find me at gem on twitter also brief shout out i i did a podcast about this a while ago but i'm just going to put out there my first novel i've done lots of history books you can find just type gem in wherever you find history books and a bunch of them will pop up but my first historical novel was turned into an audio book earlier this year silent crossroads available in all the places that you can get audio books you can even get a free trial on audible so you could get it for free if you wanted to sort of like check out audible for a month or something it's it's there but it's on lots of other sites as well in case you don't like amazon but please come on you don't pay for this podcast so please give it a go if you like what i do basically also the book is actually read out by the editor greg so again thank you very much greg right so let's get on with the world of yellowstone and the state of montana now obviously it's not been a state 500 years ago so let's go all the way back the first signs of human settlement in modern day montana is from 12,000 years ago so we're talking about 10,000 bc give or take it's you know, we're, we're basically in the Mesolithic, maybe on the very, very edges of the Paleolithic, depending on you know, the, these sort of like terms for archaeologists. And there are signs of the Clovis culture. So named after a town of Clovis in New Mexico. Now, if you're not all up on your geography, Montana is at the very top of the United States of America. Indeed, its northern border is the southern border of Canada. And New Mexico, as I guess by the name, is as far south that you can get in the United States of America before you hit Mexico, unsurprising there. So my point is, there are thousands of miles between New Mexico and Montana, and it shows you that the Clovis culture actually spread across a large swathe of modern-day America. So it's a sign, It's it, you know, it's an important archaeological sign. It's a reminder that, that the American history does not start in 1492 when Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue. The history goes way back, properly back. Well, not history, but settlement, human activity. Let's call it that, shall we? Then we've got the first time in in history that we start knowing that Native Americans are actually there and we can actually name the, the groups rather than just the Clovis culture in the very early 1700s now montana there are lots of places in america which are actually named from native american words like the city of milwaukee is the miliwakes which is actually the name of a local tribe 
and where my mother grew up in Pennsylvania was a place called Kitanning, because the local tribe was called the Kitane. So there are loads of places in America which either have English names, New York, Birmingham, Alabama, etc. But there are loads of place names that actually come from Native American languages. But... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Montana is neither. Montana is basically the slight derivation of the Spanish word for mountain, and it's a reminder that Montana has kind of got it all. It's got forested areas, it's got, you know, prairie land, it's got mountainous regions, it's kind of got a bit of everything there. Baking hot in the summer, freezing cold in the winter. If you want a place that's kind of the epitome of America, Montana's not a bad place to start with. So the first sort of Indian cultures that, that are actually there were the Crow tribe, who are actually part of the Sioux peoples. So this is one of the sort of like common misconceptions. The Native Americans in no way were one big happy group of people. Some of them had completely different languages to each other. They couldn't speak to each other. They needed a translator. They would fight absolutely between each other. It's basically the same, you know, just because they happen to be on the continent of America, just like people in Europe happen to all be on the same place and culturally and ethnically were very similar to each other a thousand years ago doesn't mean they didn't stop killing each other. And it's the same. This is human nature rather than Europe versus America on this one. What we got is the Crow peoples were the first sort of, if you like, historically, in the his historical record people, rather than archaeological record people, we know were living in the area of Montana. What's interesting is today, you know, now, and this is where 
as an outsider looking into America, it gets confusing. And please bear with me on this. Obviously, if we're talking about, like, the Crow peoples, the correct term tends to be Native American or First Nations people. But all these reservations, the technical legal name for them, the governmental name for them, is Indian Reservation. And I, as an outsider, don't understand why those haven't been changed. So please, I'm not trying to be racist here. I'm trying to be accurate here. But the Crow Indian Reservation is the largest reservation in Montana and one of the largest in the whole of America. Now, this is the interesting thing about it. And it, and this is where I'm going to sort of like dive into to these reservations for a while. The It's basically about... 3,600 square miles in size. So when we hear reservation, particularly if you're sort of like European, you might think, oh, it's a couple of roads and it's got some dirt around it. You know, it may be one square mile or something like that. But if you like, the state of Montana and the size of the Crow Indian Reservation is just a salient reminder to the rest of the world how big America is. Yes, Russia's bigger. Australia is about the same size as continental America, and Canada is huge too, but a lot of that's sort of under snow or under water. So yeah, America is just an absolutely massive country. It's sort of hard to compare it to anywhere, particularly in Western Europe. We're all minnows compared to what's in, you know, the whole of the United Kingdom could be fitted into the state of Utah, for example. I just interesting fact. So, if you're trying to get your head around this Crow Indian Reservation, 3,600 square miles, it's very slightly larger than the island of Cyprus. So, you can easily find Cyprus on a map. That's how big this reservation is. It's, it's not a small amount of land. And the population is only 11,000. Imagine only 11,000 people living in Cyprus. It shows you how sparse the population density truly is in America. This is why you get people, when it comes to elections, going, how could my state turn blue? Look at how many of the areas were actually red. There's only one county in the whole of my state that voted blue. How did the whole state turn blue? Because almost all of your state is empty, except for that one county, which happens to be a major city, which suddenly has, like, two million people in it, which is why your whole state turned blue in the election. Just looking at a map of America, it kind of makes no sense. I mean, particularly when you look at, like, the electoral map, it's like, quite often, there are more states red than blue, but the thing is, though, they're in the middle, which is largely not very populated. It's the coasts where most of the American population is, just like with Canada, because it's so cold the further north you get most of Canada's population lives within a hundred miles of the American border. It's a strip of population just above America, which makes sense because they can't go any further south and you certainly don't want to go further north. So that's the Crow Indian Reservation. It was founded in 1868. It has a population of 11,000. And interestingly, 20% of that population has Crow, which is a Sioux language, as their first language. So 20% of the population speak Crow first and English second, which is amazing. So what exactly is going on on these reservations? Why are they different from the rest of the state, be it Montana or anywhere, really? And the answer is, basically, there are state laws that just don't apply to the reservations. Basic laws like, for example, murder, 
which is the same across the United States, would obviously be, be applicable to a reservation. But things like outlawing gambling in the state is a state law, and therefore there are loads of reservations that have casinos on them because that law does not apply. All the local law enforcement in the reservation are from the Native American tribe. So basically, the state police can't go on to reservations. Well, they can, it's not a different country, but they can't enforce their laws on there. So therefore, there's a lot of bad people who sometimes try and get into reservations to try and get away from the cops, and they can be seen as a centre of sort of dubious undertakings, gambling, perhaps people trying to produce drugs, for example, things like methamphetamine. There's a whole 3,600 square miles Maybe you could set up a little lab and nobody's going to find it there and the police can't go there naturally looking for it. So you can see why they sometimes have a negative connotation. But of course, the reality is all of the land used to be there. So if the price you have to pay is the local police can't go on there, I'm going to say that's a very small price to pay to own all of Montana under the laws of the United States government. It is absolutely a challenging situation. The native peoples obviously want to have their own lives, they want to have their own rules, they don't want all this criminality, but criminals will always try and find a way to bend laws or create situations that are to their advantages, and certainly if you're outside the reservation, you might be annoyed by the amount of times there's sort of like chaos going on, people coming in and out, and so on and so forth. I know some people who live near a reservation have that feeling, but as I already said, it's like, I get it, that's where you have to live, but at the same time, if you look at the history, that is a small price to pay for all the crimes that have actually been carried out on these peoples. So it's definitely a big subject, and I'm just sort of putting it out there as to that's why reservations are controversial even to this day. There are other reservations in Montana, none of them as big, but I mean, they're still large. And we're talking that there's one for the Cheyenne, there's one for the Blackfoot, there's one for the Lakota Sioux. The Crow are a Sioux people, so the Crow language is similar, not identical to Sioux, but the Lakota Sioux speak also Sioux, but it is different to Crow. But then I mentioned the Cheyenne, and they speak Algonquin, which is a completely different language, and therefore, no, those aren't particularly similar. So, talking about First Nations people or, you know, American natives, etc., they are culturally and sometimes religiously and certainly linguistically different. And I find that fascinating, personally. Now, the thing about America is we talk about the American War of Independence, which is in the late 1700s, starts in 1775, the peace treaty, which was one of the many treaties of Paris in 1783, ends the war. So that, that goes on for a while, but those only occur to the 13 colonies on the East Coast. There's huge areas that have been claimed by the Spanish. Indeed, once the, you know, once the British had been kicked out, you've got places like Florida, which have Spanish inhabitants there. You've got places much further west, places like New Mexico and Texas, where because of Mexico, again, there's, there's more Spanish people there than there are certainly white Caucasian people. So the reality is there's huge tracts of America, in inverted commas, that are technically under the Spanish crown, which eventually sort of gets folded into the French, basically, because 
in 1803 we get a very famous bit of American history called the Louisiana Purchase. All this area obviously isn't full of Spaniards, it's full of Native Americans, but basically the Spanish crown made claim to it, and the Spanish crown was in alliance with Napoleon, and then he eventually invaded Spain anyway, and just took it over outright. So that's that's a whole other thing. So the point is, in 1803, it could probably do with some cash, and in the meantime, when it comes to those 13 colonies on the East Coast, they wanted to spread across the continent. So what do you do when it's technically Spanish lands? They certainly don't want another war with a European power. And therefore, what happened was there was basically a deal. Now, there is a state of Louisiana, and I think a lot of people think that the Louisiana Purchase covers Louisiana, but Louisiana, I was in King Louis, because it was French, sort of first Spanish, then it became French. You know, this is where it gets complicated and shows you how arbitrary colonialism is, but that's a whole other story. But the point is, Louisiana actually went almost the entirety of the Mississippi Basin. So it went up into modern-day Canada, all the way through basically the huge chunk in the middle of modern-day America, all the way down to Louisiana and, and basically New Orleans, etc. It is a colossal amount of land. But, you know, it had no intrinsic value yet for America. It was basically full of Native Americans and bears and trees and things like that. So it was sold for, per acre, almost nothing. But when you added up the millions of acres, it came up to something, and that money was paid to France. And now all this territory became not part of the country of America yet. This is where it gets a bit sort of technical and, and interesting. One of the big differences between America and, let's say, France, for example, the borders of France were very well defined even a thousand years ago. Whereas, basically, America is a patchwork of territories that are being sort of like grabbed from different powers. Uh, sometimes it's bought, sometimes it's taken by force, and obviously once these white settlers get onto the territory and there are local native tribes, violence and worse happens basically in those situations so in 1803 this area that is montana was part of the louisiana purchase so now it becomes under american influence and so let's not overstate it in literally in 1803 people weren't planting flags in it indeed that's not going to happen for quite some time and indeed there was a lot of debate about this because the borders between what was still British imperial territory of Canada and exactly where America ended was hotly debated basically and so it was called for a large chunk of the early 1800s just simply the Oregon County or the Oregon Territory and so basically it was only until after the Civil War that things get more solidified in terms of its politics. Gold is discovered in 1852, which is going to lead to a gold rush, but it doesn't really start being mined in any serious way for another 10 years, and 1862 is in the middle of the U.S. Civil War, so yes, the Union definitely wants some gold, but at the same time, a lot of young men are actually fighting and dying in the U.S. Civil War. So it's starting to be developed, but it's suddenly, it, and the classic thing is in 1864 till 1889, it is now the Montana Territory. It is not a state in the Union yet. It is owned by America, but it's not actually part of America proper yet. So this is a, you know, why do people in America sort of like 
have a pushback between state legislation and federal legislation, i.e. central government. It's because for large tracts of some, you know, the further west you go in America, the less time it's actually been part of the union. So you've got the weird situation in the, like, for example, the 1880s, where you've got literally the American government is sending in troops to defend settlers, but actually it's not technically a state of America yet. Indeed, in 1862, we get the Homestead Act. This is really important for opening up the wild frontier to settlers, white Western settlers, i.e. from Europe, not from the West of America. And basically, the Homestead Act was, in essence, if you can farm this land, it's yours. You get it for free, which was news to the Native Americans. But the U.S. government just needed people to start settling in places. They can't all just be living in, let's say, Chicago and New York, for example. So that was 1862, the Homestead Act. And then, funnily enough, in 1877, there's the Desert Land Act, which was to deal with more arid conditions. The places that people didn't perhaps want to farm or couldn't farm. You could perhaps graze cattle there for ranching. That's just about doable. But also, in some of these arid places, there were minimal deposits of things like coal, iron, or gold. In which case, if you own the land, you own the mineral rights, and there was another reason to go to the area and develop it, to, inverted commas, bring civilization. Also in the 1880s, we get the railroads finally crossing the continent, which again, you know, trying to ride a horse from somewhere like New York to Montana would take you months, basically, whereas suddenly with a train, you could, a locomotive, you could get there in hours. So it just, it just opened everything up, well, maybe a couple of days, depending on how fast the train was. But anyway, you get the idea, it opened everything up. But while I'm talking about this from a governmental perspective, clearly the local Native Americans didn't see it the same way. And there are things like Red Clouds War, which will last you from 1866 to 1868. There's the Great Sioux War of 1876. That's got some very famous Native Americans in it. Crazy Horse and Sitting Bull were part of the Great Sioux War. Now, that's one of the few occasions where actually the U.S. Army lost more men than the Native Americans. Just over 300 for the U.S. Army and 265 for the Native Americans in that situation. So, again, when people start talking about why Americans are so obsessed with guns, we are talking about a time, you know, into the 1880s, where people did genuinely need guns because there was a battle, you know, on the other side of the hillside and the defeated army of either side could end up coming through my territory. Now, we can actually talk about the horrific natures of sort of wiping out local indigenous peoples and rounding them up and putting them into reservations. That's not a good look for anybody. But at the same time, to protect yourself became ingrained in American law, which obviously at these times people didn't have automatic assault rifles and that's a whole other conversation to be had. But you can see why, going back to the original bit of Yellowstone and the Americanerness of it all, walking around with a pistol is about as American as it gets because that's a genuine part of their history at a time when there is no equivalent of that in Europe, for example. To give you a last thing, you know, one of the, one of the other nasty things that the U.S. government did is the Native Americans, particularly groups like the Sioux, became great interactors with the bison. You know, the whole Buffalo Bill type stuff. You, you've all heard of this stuff before. And basically, in 1870, there were 13 million bison just in Montana. That gives you an idea of how 
how rich it was for its sort of biodiversity and how it was able to sustain such a colossal herd of bison. But by 1884, there were 325 bison left, not in Montana, in continental United States. That's how many were killed by these people who largely were doing it to get their pelts or get their tongues. They were a delicacy. They didn't bother with the rest of the meat. But also there was the added thing of like, now they're literally starving the Sioux out of their positions where they might be winning battles and skirmishes. Well, they're basically starving because their food chain has been broken. But at the same time, 1860s, we got the ranching, going back to Yellowstone. You know, the city up ranch, these very large farms, raising the cattle and things like that. And then in 1889, it becomes a state. The last thing I'm going to say about this is we move into the era of World War I, so sort of into the 1910s, and the very first female member of Congress is a congresswoman called Jeanette Rankin, who came from Montana. So Montana isn't perhaps quite as backwards or unenlightened as you might think, because they're the first one to have a female congressperson. So there we go. So that's the story of Montana. That's the story of Yellowstone. In many ways, Montana is the story of America, particularly in the 19th century. Really hope you enjoyed that one. And as always, another episode coming soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.